Hi, welcome to the Storyteller Series Nigeria, a podcast dedicated to sharing Nigerian stories. I'm your host, Funola Oshinupevi, and this is episode 5. This episode is called Something Old, Something Borrowed. The Something Old comes to us in the form of a folk tale told to you by my father. Now, you don't know this, but this obsession with stories that I have comes to you by way of my dad, who told us a story every night before we went to bed as children. Most evenings, there would be no light and no generator at that time. So my dad would tell us a story until we got to bed because there was nothing better to do. So here he is telling you a tale about Mr. Tortoise and his greed. The Something Borrowed is a reference to the Benin Bronzes, which the British have offered to let Nigeria borrow, even though it belongs to the country. So we did a story about how we got where we are on that. Oh, and one more thing. Please don't forget to like our page or follow us on at ABJ Storyteller. That's all one word on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I'm not sure how we got this far without posting a folktale in a Nigerian podcast about stories, but here you go. For many years, Tortoise and his wife looked forward to having a child, but nothing happened for them. Finally, after a long time, someone told him to visit the doctor in the next village who was an expert in such matters. After much argument, Tortoise commenced on the journey to Jurumi. Tortoise hated to travel anywhere but because it took so long and it was slow and nothing could be done since he had short legs and no one would help him. Since the last time the birds gave him a ride up to heaven, he ate the food provided alone. It is true, a self-centered person cannot have friends. So he walked alone to Joromi until he came to the doctor's house. After the discussion and consultation, the prescription was given. It was a pot of soup, hot, delicious smelling soup. Off he went back the way he came a bit more excited than before. He was thinking. Soon he will have little children. And what name would he call them? Would they look like him or Yonibo his wife? Maybe they will have longer legs than him and will be able to walk faster. Then he will make them carry him wherever he wanted to go. Or, or would they call that child abuse or what? Then without warning, he stumbled on a root he had thought was a pebble. Ah! He had kicked what he thought was a pebble and nearly fell. The pot balanced on his head, tilted a bit, and a little bit of the stew spilled off his head and slid to his ear, tickling him. Reflexively, he wiped it off. That was when the delicious smell of the soup hit him. What is 
this is thought. He then put the finger that wiped off the bit of stew to his mouth and boom! The stew tasted unbelievably good. After a few more minutes, he stopped, brought the pot down, removed the lid and took a bit more, then another bit. A bird shrieked in a tree above the pathway, startling torches. So he quickly put the pot back on his head and continued his slow shuffle back home. But the thought of the stew would not leave him. What had this wizard in Jeremy put in the stew? Of course, he was a wizard pretending to be a doctor. So he stopped. He took another lick, then another. Then he decided to take just a quarter of the stew. The remainder was for Yonibo. He changed his mind and took a third. Then he took a half. Before he knew it, he had eaten the whole stew, plus all the meat and even the bones. Ah! Tortis exhaled. That was a good one. It probably was no good as medicine. Medicine never tasted so good. Now to think of what to tell Yonibo. So he continued on the journey back home until he noticed his stomach was growing big. Initially, it seemed like the normal torment of overeating he went through every single day of his life. But this time, it grew like a balloon. It became very painful. And then, unbearable, he had to stop. Then he began to think. Still, his stomach continued to grow. What am I to do, he lamented. Can't go home. Can't stay here. Surely, the doctor should have an antidote to this stew medicine. Reluctantly, he turned back and made his way to the doctor's house in Jeremy. Rolling more than walking, he got there after many hours. But I warned you, Dr. Lamina screamed, you should never have put a drop of the stew in your mouth, never. I've come to beg you, Tortis cried out in his shriek-like monotone voice. I slipped on the root of a tree suddenly. Yes, I remember you told me not to put my finger in the soup, but I did. When I looked up, my stomach had become big. Please, I beg you, help me, he cried. Lamina went out into his inner chamber, did some work, and came back with a green-colored syrup, which he gave Tortoise to drink in one gulp. He did, and after a full half hour of torment, farted a fart that lasted for about 30 seconds. Then his stomach started coming back to normal. The doctor threw him out of the room and told him to go back home, never to come to him again. A terrible smell engulfed his consulting room. Tortoise turned back and headed home, all the time thinking what to tell Yonibo. These are the kinds of stories that made me fall in love with storytelling. If you have a good folktale, 
You can record it and send it to us via email at info at thestorytellerng.org. That's info at thestorytellerng.org and we'll put it on the show if it's good. So, our next segment is more of a new story, but it's still a story. Today, we're going to do a story on the famous Benin Bronzes, and Eromo is going to help us tell his story. This is Eromo. Hi, my name is Eromo Igbejule, and I am a journalist. Eromo wrote a story about a chapter of Nigeria's history that doesn't really get talked about. So there's this famous mask that's the symbol of Benin culture for many people, and by extension, Nigeria's arts and culture, since first act 77. If you're not sure what I'm talking about, Please pause here and Google Festax 77 mask. Okay, have you got it? Good. Well, it turns out this mask is a copy, and the original bronze mask of Queen Idia and several other priceless Bini relics sit all over the world in London art museums or in private collections. We might do an episode about Queen Idia, but today we will focus on Eromo's story about the adventures of the bronzes. But first, Let's go back to how these bronzes ended up leaving the Benin Kingdom in the first place. The first thing you need to know is that we are not talking about three or four art pieces. We are talking about more than a thousand pieces of bronze artwork created in the 13th, 14th, 15th and 16th centuries, so over 400 years of art. This art was mostly used to adorn the palace in Benin City and is critical in proving the sophistication of pre-colonial West African cultures. Anyway, in the late 19th century, the Benin Kingdom was one of the few kingdoms that managed to stay prosperous and independent in West Africa, despite Britain's interest in their wealth. So, of course, the British didn't like them. In 1897, a bunch of Englishmen and their black servants decided to visit Benin. The king of Benin said he was busy with religious rites and asked them to come another day. They insisted on coming into the town anyway and were promptly slaughtered. The British were very offended, and so they planned a revenge mission. This mission was very successful, and they carried everything of value off, including thousands of artworks made of bronze, and utterly destroyed the 700-year-old kingdom, whose walls were once estimated to be four times longer in total than the Great Wall of China. So, it's 1977, 17 years after the country gains its independence, and Nigeria is hosting a festival of arts and culture. It decides that one of these famous bronzes, the mask of Queen Idia will be used on all branding. But against all expectations, the British do not return this mask, and the country is forced to make a replica of the mask to save its face. Here are Eromo's thoughts. Nigeria, the federal government at the time, it was left with no other option but to get replica of the mask from a Benin cover. Because it's it's kind of ironic, you have give or take 2,000 to 5,000 bronzes scattered across the world and they're sitting in the private collections of strangers, they're sitting in the museums of the colonialists and other governments and um, the rightful owners are looking for just a single piece to um, celebrate a worldwide black um, event. Right, but then again, you have to applaud the quick proactiveness of the federal government. And when it was left with no other options, it decided to do something um, that also showcased the recurring talent. You know, so the the talent had made these bronzes, and they were abroad. But then, you know, we had to reach back in to our depths and find someone else who could make a similar similar bronze. So it it does show that we could have made as many thousands of bronzes again if we wanted to. As at the time I'm speaking, none of these bronzes have been returned to Nigeria, and one has to wonder why. 
And there's a documented pattern of the British getting some of these art pieces and resisting them. So that was simply the case with Nigeria. It wasn't like an isolated case. Uh, they won these pieces because they won them in either battle or of colonialism, and then they decided to make money off it. So, um, so, so I don't, I don't think it was a departure from behavior. It was, it was a clearly defined pattern of problematic behavior by the British. I still think that um, we need these arts, and we need. Um, we need to start documenting and and preserving our art for future generations and just for the sake of history. Even in future generations, I'm going to appreciate it just for the sake of history because we need to have um, tangible documentation of our past. You know, it's good enough to have the stories, but if these active arts are present somewhere around the world, it's great to have them and keep them back in our possession. So here we are. It's 2018. And the bronzes don't seem any closer to coming back home. So what are our options? Wale Shoinka presents one option. In his book, You Must Set Forth at Dawn, he tells of spotting the Oriolokun bronze head in a private collection and deciding to break into the man's home and steal the bronze. After a lot of hijinks, it turns out that it's a fake. I think it's a pretty interesting story and Shurinka has always been a radical, uh, a cultural rebel from far back in time. So I'm not quite, I'm not quite surprised that he did um, this guerrilla raid. But um, present day dictates that um, we should be a little more subtle, you know, kind of diplomatic. We need to start repatriating our art, promoting our art. And generally start from somewhere. If we keep waiting to get all of this active ad back, we'll never stop. And if we keep waiting for the British government or other governments on their own to return these artifacts, we'll never have them. So we must start applying pressure on these people and doing it the right way. Kudos to Wally Shrinka, you know, for what he did in Brazil, but I'm definitely not going to advocate for that. A Ramwaiwe story is called 121 Years in Absentia, Tracking the Benin Bronzes, and can be found on the Guardian newspaper's website. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Storyteller series, Nigeria. Don't forget to share this podcast with your friends. For more information on the series and to check dates for our next live event, please follow us at ABJ Storyteller, that's one word, on Instagram, Twitter, and like our Facebook page. You can also visit our website at thestorytellerng.org. If you would like to tell a story at our next live event or submit a story to the podcast, please email info at thestorytellerng.org. Have a great day.